I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Today, we have Donnie Orangia with Main Street Therapy Partners. We're going to talk about a couple things, probably make this into two episodes. We're going to hear about the origin of Main Street Therapy Partners, who they're looking to potentially partner with and work with, which states that they're in or states that they want to get in. And we're also going to talk about the pros and cons of using a broker or advisor. Before we get into all of that, Donnie, welcome on. Hey, Dave. I really appreciate you having me on. been following your stuff for a while now. you got some really good content going. So just happy to be at a part of it. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate your comments and your feedback on LinkedIn or YouTube and and all over the place. So it made sense for me to reach out. And, and you and I, we were messaging on LinkedIn about uh, a couple of different topics. So, you know, yeah. I was just like, hey, you know, we've communicated enough. Let me get you on the show. So tell us about Main Street Therapy Partners. And I think you're mostly in the, the biz dev role, but tell us about the practice, what you guys are doing, a little bit about yourself, and then we'll kind of go into the interview and the conversation. Perfect. Yeah. So yeah, I do business development for Main Street Therapy Partners. Been with the company getting close to eight years now. And you know, the quick 30,000 foot overview brief story without getting too long-winded is that eight years ago when I started, I was actually working for a company called Blue Sky Therapy. So I like to throw that out just because I've done a lot of outreach under that umbrella name. And the long and short is that roughly a year ago, we did a spinoff because our outpatient division you know, your brick and mortar outpatient physical therapy clinic had grown to a certain size where it just needed its own ecosystem. So Blue Sky Therapies got its start in the skilled nursing space, contracting with skilled nursing facilities, assisted living, home health facilities. And when I'd started, we had two outpatient locations and there was this kind of background desire to grow the outpatient division. Fast forward seven years later, we now have 14 locations where we are also doing management contracts with orthopedic groups, things of that nature, still doing a little bit within private communities, telehealth, home health, but really just trying to be innovative in the outpatient space. And we currently are located in Maryland, Ohio, Texas, Florida, and our partnership approach, I always use the term geographically agnostic. At the end of the day, with us being a privately held entity, we are very, you know, a lot of people talk about culture, but that's really at the soul and core of what we believe in. So we like to take that agnostic approach because at the end of the day, we're just looking for good people and good businesses that we can help support with our back office offerings. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Before we move into a little bit more of the conversation, if there's owners watching or listening, are there certain... I know you said that you're kind of geographically agnostic, but are there certain uh, geographics that you guys are really looking to get into or where you know owners might be listening if they're kind of like on the fence and you know they're, they're not sure who to potentially reach out to or have their broker advisor reach out to, to potential buyers like you guys? Should they do so if they're you know, located in a certain place or not? Yeah, we'd love to keep growing in the markets that we already exist in. So the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, the DMV region, Southwest Florida, we're pretty much all throughout Ohio. 
But at the end of the day, Dave, you know, this modern day and age, you can do a lot remotely. We've still got our operators visiting our locations, you know, pretty much on a quarterly basis. But, you know, strong markets, right? Very rural areas are a little more difficult. But some of our strongest performing clinics are actually in more rural pockets just because they've been established in a community for so long and they really carry a lot of that market share. So I don't want to, you know, not answer your question, but the reality is, is that we're willing to at least engage in an initial conversation with pretty much anyone. All right. Got it. All right. And so today we're talking about brokers and advisors, pros and cons, just initial jumping off point. What do you got? Oh, man. Okay. Uh, that's, <laughs> let, let, we'll try to keep this concise. You know, we've got experience with working with the niche brokers that really only do physical therapy deals. We've got experience with working with brokers who, once you get engaged, you get the sense, wow, these guys have just sold a bunch of restaurants and real estate. And this is their first venture into the physical therapy space. And then we've also done deals without brokers. So the the high level kind of take from my perspective is it really depends on where the owner is at in their career, right? Are they somebody who's already phased out of the business? How much bandwidth do they have to take on potential due diligence? So that's really the driving factor of my opinion on the pros and cons of using a broker. So I don't know if you've got any... I've heard you advocate for brokers a lot. And to your point, if you can work with an experienced broker, it definitely makes life easier. Yeah, I, there's a little bit of a push and pull here, right? It depends. Like if it's a smaller practice, let's say either the revenue is under a million or even closer to 500K, the practice owner from our experience, and, and we're really trying to look for practices that are doing a million a year in revenue or more, but some of those smaller practices, those owners, and and my perspective and my experience so far is that they will understand that their practice is under a million in revenue and that they don't want to pay a broker an eight, nine, 10, whatever percent commission on the total purchase price. Uh, and so they already know that the purchase price is going to be somewhat limited to, you know, the reality of, of their valuation and the, the revenue and the worth of the practice. And so it's really, I think, over a million, I mean, if we had to draw a line in the sand, over a million or so in revenue or greater, I think that's where a lot of the specialist type of broker advisors will entertain practices and the ones that are, you know, speaking at PPS and the ones that are all over APTA and and doing um, different presentations with some of the, the bigger groups and, and things like that. So I think it depends a little bit about the size of the practice. And then, like you said, it also, as I mentioned before, other times, it certainly depends on the time, like you said, that the practice owner has to dedicate to this. Do they even understand the process? Are, are Donnie, are you and I and, and my team and your team, are we having to like kind of teach them and handhold them through this process? Because otherwise, if they have a broker advisor, usually the broker is doing that. So those are some of the challenges based on the size of the practice and then the business acumen or experience of the practice owner. Do they have experience firm negotiations with like their lease agreements or, or other previous dealings in business? Or not. And if, if this is their first time, then I would say, you know, maybe definitely consider a broker advisor, even if you're on the lower end of, of valuation. I mean, let's face it, right? A lot of physical therapist owners are just that. They are physical therapist owners. I've heard from people before there's not enough business education done in PT school. Sure, they can probably keep their QuickBooks fairly in line and understand the nuances of their day to day practice. 
But to your point about negotiation, something came to mind, right? Like trying to walk through a working capital concept with an owner who's inexperienced. And sometimes often, even if they've got like legal counsel or a CPA that they've used for years, they still sometimes are looking for a lot of clarification on that front. I think the biggest point though is the role of the owner as you're going into conversations and you make a very good point about the size of the practice. So let's say we're talking about, you know, an 800,000 revenue clinic somewhere around, you know, maybe 100,000, 200,000 of EBITDA. If that owner has already started to work on the business and in the business, so let's say they're kind of in a per diem role or 10 to 20 hours clinical treatment, in my experience, that is somebody who in theory should have the bandwidth to handle a lot of the initial due diligence. At the end of the day, even if they're not working with a broker, they're going to have legal counsel and an accountant on their side. So they're already paying some fees in that regard. And you know, my opinion would be, if you can take that on, save yourself that 8 9 10%. And you also get to learn a lot through that process. We're really big advocates here of just trying to act as a consultant, really, through from first conversation until we get a deal done. We're learning something every time we get a deal done, whether that gets to the 50-yard line or crosses the finish line. We're always learning something, and we're very happy to share that knowledge with folks. Because at the end of the day, if we don't take it across the finish line, that owner is likely still going to be searching for their exit strategy, their partnership. So we want to do whatever we can to set them up for success. So if somebody can take that on themselves... I just feel like there's a lot to learn. There's some additional funds that they get to keep in their pocket. And from a buyer perspective, because they're learning things, they're in the know. Instead of that conversation flowing through a broker and then middlemanning it, they have an understanding as to why we might be approaching things a certain way. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. What's your experience and your team's experience of interacting with some of these potential sellers, these owners that are considering selling or exiting and the time and effort it takes for them to get the... They sign an NDA with you guys, let's just say, and the time that it takes to get their tax returns and some of their initial financial documents, or even like the second wave of, of document requests, you know, payroll records and lease agreement and, and all those types of things. Have you seen a difference with those owners in general if they have a broker advisor in their corner versus if they don't, like how does the document request go and in the initial due diligence of kind of getting those financials? Yeah, there's not really a cookie cutter answer there because it really differs. And I think this is a good time to mention that if an owner is going to work with the broker, in my experience, I highly recommend they work with somebody that at minimum has done a physical therapy deal before. Again, there's some national brokerage firms that represent any type of listing that might be local and they feel like that makes sense to work local. Ensure that broker is going to likely put together a nice sim, a nice package and have a sense for what sort of initial due diligence requests are going to come. So they may have a data room already populated. But on the counter side, when you're working with somebody that has done physical therapy deals before they're going to pick up on that minutia that may have been missed by that kind of broad reaching type of broker. Uh, but from a timeline perspective, 
that and that's why I brought this topic up because I've actually seen the quickest turnaround coming from those owners that have a little bit of bandwidth, especially if they're motivated. And that's something that I've picked up on as a business development guy. You can get a sense of how serious somebody is going into a deal with how quick they turn around. Just even that initial, we call it our initial request for information. And I'm not sure about yours, but we try to keep that, I always say, as minimally invasive as possible. And at the end of the day, your time is valuable. Our team's time is valuable. We want to, as quickly as possible, get to, hey, is this a good fit for us? And if so, what do the numbers look like? Right? Because you know this too. You've talked about it on your podcast in the past. Addbacks are a fairly regular thing, right? Things that we need to one-time expense give credit for. So as soon as we can make sure that we're ironing out those sorts of things, we're pretty quick on on turning around initial questions within five to 10 business days and trying to get to that point. So our time is really dictated by the seller and their bandwidth to provide that initial round of documents. And then even a step further due diligence, which is obviously even a step deeper into the weeds. My experience has shown me that if an owner is motivated, if they're working with a broker, it's likely going to be somewhat crafted already. But even if they're not, we're in an LOI right now and we are less than 10 business days in. And I think this morning I just received whatever was outstanding on the initial due diligence request. And there'll be questions that come from that. But then that's just creating a conversational approach. We can start talking about transition timelines. So it actually works very well in that regard. Yeah. Just for the the practice owners listening, if you get that initial response, the initial documents, the initial response from a potential practice owner, if they, you mentioned motivation, like if they are motivated and serious about this, what is your perspective or your, your feelings when a potential owner gets those things maybe either signed or returned to you in let's say two or three days as opposed to sometimes two or three weeks or two or three months. Um, Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that's, you know, some people are just, I guess, sluggish for lack of a better term in general. And there are other fires that need to be put out. So I don't want to say that gives us a sense that they're unmotivated, but it kind of shows you where their priorities lie, I suppose. But, you know, when it comes to growth and partnership, being privately held, you know, momentum is a big thing that we're trying to continue building, right? Whether that's same store growth initiatives or growing by acquisition and partnership, people that it's clear that they're motivated to get a deal done, that that goes a long way with us. And then that goes to the top of the priority list. So I'd say if somebody out there is serious about, even if it's like a, hey, I don't need to sell tomorrow, but I need to figure out my exit strategy. As soon as you can start those initial conversations and get a sense of you know, what a type of partner can bring to the table to support your brand and help you achieve your future goals, as soon as you can give them that information, you're going to be able to have a more informed conversation about those sorts of things. Right. Makes a lot of sense. And in terms of what you guys are looking for, are you guys mostly looking for outpatient brick and mortar practices, like pretty much pure play brick and mortar outpatient or any other type of uh, practice or type of uh, business model? Yeah. You know, I like to think of us as very open-minded. It's interesting you ask, because I've recently been just seeing what's out there in like the tech space. You know, there's... We're in 2023. There are telehealth programs and, and things of that nature and customer experience type applications. And that's not to say that's a a route we're going down, but we always want to keep our eyes open 
to what the future of this industry looks like. You know, having been solely in the outpatient space for just a year, and then myself having experience over the last eight years of seeing where things are going, it's just bonkers how different things can be, right? We've got over on the East Coast, I've talked to owners in your market. While it's not a market we're super interested in, so I think this conversation makes sense as we're not stepping on each other's toes so much. You know, the out of network model is a big thing because the state of reimbursement is pretty dreary over in New York, New Jersey. And then you jump out to the West Coast, and I've talked to people who are getting $115, $120 a visit. And they're given that luxury of being able to, hey, I'm going to do manual for 45 minutes and not so concerned with some of the, the nuances when it comes to billing and coding education. So what we're looking for really just boils down to good people, Dave. You know, we're in a service industry. So another thing I wanted to mention when it comes to the broker side of things, regardless of somebody's exit strategy, sticking around for three months, six months, year two, three years, I really want to drive home to people that what a buyer loves to see is somebody that's a cheerleader for the success of the deal. Even if there are things that as time unfolds, might not see completely eye to eye on, their cheerleadering really drives the culture uh, vibe to the rest of the staff and employees and as you and I know, that's the lifeblood of this is retention of employees, retention of the good culture that we're looking to inherit. So I also just want to advocate to people, you know, be a cheerleader for the deal, even if there are some things that kind of come up through the process that, you know, may have not been what you'd anticipated. Briefly, can you just expand on that? So broker, uh, practice owner listening, what does cheerleading mean? Does that mean making sure that their team, the morale, the culture, everything is maintained, that the that they are making sure that it's a smooth transition for all parties. So that would be for you guys, the buyers, it would be for the current staff, making sure that the current team does not get scared or spooked and, and make sure that they don't leave, that they want to stick around and, and see things through. So how would you define some of this cheerleader? Yeah, maybe maybe just one example. And this is something that we're always transparent about. And I'm not too sure your perspective. I'm curious how you approach this. But we have looked at practices doing anywhere from like six visits per full-time equivalent a day to north of 20, right? And on that low end, if you're looking at a practice like that, we're just in a time, we're in a space where that's not sustainable, right? We're not going to be able to keep the lights on. We're not going to be able to reward our employees for their performance with that sort of model. So we're very upfront in early conversations if there is any anticipated personnel changes. But even if we have those conversations, that's still a pretty heavy gravity conversation to have down the road. So early on, maybe a broker or, or an owner would say, I get it, right? I appreciate you being open and honest, but come crunch time, when you've maybe got a reduced headcount, then just making sure they maintain that positive approach and say, this is for the better, right? This was something that I, as a owner, probably should have done, but I've seen it a lot, right? Owners end up becoming viewed as like best friends a lot of the time and not necessarily an authority figure. So once a practice has been established for a long time, it's not always easy for them to drive change 
without feeling like they're, you know, disrupting a personal relationship. So the unfortunate reality is, is that in those situations that we're having that conversation, and it doesn't happen often because we're we're trying to find apple to apple partnerships, people who are operating very like and kind of what we believe in today. But if that ever comes up, it's again, you know, understanding that early on because we'll be open and honest about it, but then maintaining that positive attitude and understanding any sort of changes that do go on are ultimately for the benefit of the patients, the staff, and the brand. Yeah, very well said. I agree. Great place to pause. Uh, Donnie, what's a good place for the audience to reach out to you, whether it's uh, LinkedIn, your email address, the main Main Street Therapy Partners website, like what's a good place yeah. for them to connect with I'm you a big or your team? LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn all day, every day. Like you said, that's how you and I first connected. So you can find me, Donnie Orengia, on LinkedIn, but email's fine, dorengia at mainstreetpt.net. And then once you connect with me there, I always like to text. Everybody's got their phone in their pockets at all times. So I'm easy to get a hold of. Excellent, Donnie. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com or You can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.